All right, we are in Genesis chapter 40, Genesis chapter 40, and we'll start reading from verse 1. Then it came about after these things that the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with the two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them and he took care of them and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were, in conf- who were confined in the jail both had a dream the same night, each man his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. All right, we'll stop right there for now. So let's let's uh, just consider a few points here. Is that um, is that that there are two main interpreters of dreams in the Bible, Joseph and Daniel, and they are the the uh, both of them were working for foreign kings in a foreign land. Uh, and working for their administrations. And they, they interpreted for these Gentile kings. And both of these Gentile kings had their own dream interpreters. Yet, uh, Joseph and Daniel both, both ended up at the top of, of that list for interpreting the dreams. And uh, in other cultures, in other cultures they, they will respect dreams quite a lot. In our culture, in our Western culture, we don't. But in other cultures, they do. And so God speaks to them in dreams. In our culture, we don't respect it very much. And so, so um, uh, it, it's, not, it's not something that we think about very often. All right. So, uh, Mike, if you try to see who, who's become unmuted and get them muted, that would help. Thank you. And so um, we see here in verse four, chapter 40, verse 1 of Genesis, that they offended their lord, the king, in verse 2, he was furious with the two officials. I am so glad that we serve the King Jesus. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is so good, so nice. We don't have to worry about doing this level of offense that he becomes furious with us in the same way that... I don't, I don't know what these two people did. I don't know if, the, if there was a fly in the cup of, of, of the cupbearer when he was, he was in, in, the, in the Pharaoh's cup when he was presenting it, if there was some sand in the bread that, that Pharaoh was eating. We don't know. It was probably not anything very serious or they would have been killed outright. But we serve a glorious king. Some people tell me that, uh, um, you know, I've talked to, to some people I, when I worked in the prison in particular, I remember a guy telling me that, that he wasn't a Christian, that he, he, uh, he served Satan. And I was like, why would you want to serve Satan? He is the worst one you'd ever, ever want to serve. And uh, uh, so I'm so glad we serve a, a gracious king. Verse 3, so they put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. So we know from 
chapter 39, verse 1, and from the last ver- chapter of verse 38, that the captain of the bodyguard, uh, of, verse 30, of chapter 37, verse 36, we know that the captain of the bodyguard was Potiphar. This was Joseph's master. So they ended up in the same place. And this, this was the, uh, the place where, where they, they kept these uh, prisoners of, the, of, the, uh, of Pharaoh. And in verse 4, the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. And he took care of them. And they were in confinement for some time. Now this word, some time, if you look at it literally, they were in confinement for days. So this was not years that they were in confinement. This was a period of some days. And uh, uh, it, it probably wasn't even months because it, it's listed in days. Uh, but what's interesting, again, and we had touched on this two weeks ago, that the captain of the bodyguard, Potiphar, put Joseph in charge of them. If he had really believed that Joseph had tried to rape his wife, it's very unusual that he would put him in charge of this prison compound that he was overseeing. Again, as I said last week, it would be like my having a workman here in my home and he had tried to rape my wife and I said, it's really not good for you to be here. Why don't you come and run my laboratory for me? Why don't you just kind of oversee the administration in my laboratory? That would never happen. So, so uh, again, he may have been trying to protect Joseph from his own wife. We're not sure what, exactly what was going on. But he put Joseph in charge of them. And Joseph didn't say, well, look, man, I mean, you, you stuck me here. Why are you putting me in charge of them? Joseph continued to love him. He did not go tit for tat. He did not uh, uh, go back at him. He, he graciously took this charge. He innocently serves, innocently serving. There are going to be times in our lives when when things are going to come at us, when, when people are going to attack us and things will come at us, but it is up to us to continue to, to show love and respect for them. This is something that we want to do. We want to respond differently than the world is. We want to be different than the world is. We want to respond differently to them. Even if they treat us wrongly, we are to treat them with respect. This is something that, that's, that's of us. It's not none of this, well... You, you, you know, if, if, how they treat me is how, how I treat them. No, we are to treat people differently. We are called to be different. And then it, then it says um, in, in verse, in verse uh, um, 5, Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in the jail both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. So each of them, the cupbearer, and this is the chief cupbearer. This isn't a lowly person. This is chief cupbearer and the chief baker. These are very, very important people. Very important people. Because um, uh, uh, they're the ones that oversee what the pharaoh is going to eat. So he has to have extreme trust in them. And, and uh, uh, they both independently have a dream. And it says each dream with its own interpretation. This is God's intent. God is intending to speak with them because each of these has its own interpretation. He is intending to speak to them. He's intending to do this. So he takes two unbelievers, two people who are idol worshippers in Egypt, and he wants to speak a word to them because each had its own interpretation. It was his intent to speak with them. You know, there's a, there's a verse in Job, in Job chapter 3, Chapter 33, Job chapter 33, verse 15 through 17, Elihu is speaking. And it's not that everything that 
these three men said was wrong. In fact, a lot of it was right. It was just misapplied in, in Job's case. But here's what Elihu said in Job chapter 33, verse 15. In a dream, a vision of the night, when sound sleep falls on men, while they slumber in their beds, then he opens the ears of men and he seals their instruction that he may turn man aside from his conduct and keep man from pride. So you see, God is constantly speaking to us, not just to the believer, but even to the unbeliever. God is speaking to us. God speaks to them. God speaks to people. Why do people go through these these fits of depression? Because God is trying to speak to them. So often I've heard testimonies where people were deep in depression and that's when they found the Lord. You know, they ended up going to a Bible study, being in depression, causing them to be open and they ended up going to a Bible study or something like this. This is what God does. He speaks to us. He gets into our hearts and and sometimes we wonder, why, why does my mood go up and down and up and down? Well, maybe God's trying to speak to me. God does these things. His intent of giving these two men a dream that they were disturbed about, it was to give them this very interpretation for God to speak with them. God's intent is to speak even with the unbeliever. So that when then they hear things, when they hear messages like this, they log on and they hear a message like this, and God is intending to speak to them. And God drops a word on their heart, and then all of a sudden something happens, and like, wow, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Or a person may be in deep, Depression or, or some tragedy may, may happen in a person's life and be, well, why, why is this happening? Well, maybe God's trying to speak to you. His intent in all of this was to give them an interpretation. His intent was for them not to stay stupefied in this state of unknown concerning this dream. God's intent was for them to come to understanding through this dream. God does this with the believer and the unbeliever all the time. You know, you think about people. So often we go into these, these fits of melancholy. I mean, you can, you can be, you don't have to be a person beset with de- depression to be occasionally have melancholy come upon you. And what is it calling you to do? God is calling us to come and to spend time with Him, to seek Him all the more that these things are happening. And so His intent the whole time was to speak to them. Verse 6, When Joseph came into them in the morning and observed them, Behold, they were dejected. So he comes into them and he's serving them first thing in the morning. He's serving them. He was diligent in serving them. Joseph was faithful wherever he was placed. Jesus said, if you're faithful in the small things, I will give you other things to to be with you. Jesus spoke of this In, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. Matthew 25, 21. It says, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Look what he says. You're faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And enter into the joy of your master. Enter into your master's joy. You want to have joy in your life? Serve him. Serve him. There is joy. Even greater than being put in charge of many things. You think, oh, this is great. If I serve, I'll be put in charge of many things. There's something greater than being put in charge of many things. It's to enter into the joy of Jesus. Everything, everything good in the Word of God is because of Jesus. If there is anything good, Jesus has given it. Everything in the Old Testament is to point us to Jesus. 
Jesus said in John chapter 4, he says, if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, John chapter 5, because he wrote of me. Moses wrote about me. Everything is to point us to Jesus. We enter into the joy of our master when we serve him, when we are faithful in our work. If you're faithful in your work, it is a great thing. You know, when I like write letters of recommendations, and I have to do a lot of letters, I'm talking about hundreds of letters of recommendation I send out every year. Hundreds. And uh, because I've had so many students working over for me over the years, I have I, I teach classes of hundreds of students. And so when I have an opportunity to talk about faithfulness, I just highlight it. I say, this person is faithful. They care about the place. They care about the laboratory. If something's broken, they tend to it. This means something. It means something in my eyes. It means something in God's eyes. When they're faithful, this guy is serving in this prison. He has been kidnapped. He was sold into slavery. He was given a bum rap by by the wife of Potiphar. Potiphar then asks him to minister to these people and he does it first thing in the morning he's ministering to them. He was faithful and he's going to be put in charge of many things and he will enter into the joy of his master. Something much greater than even being put in charge of many things is to enter into the joy of Jesus. I'll tell you, once you have Jesus, everything else fades in comparison. You know, some people talk about, you, you, you know, uh, all this money you can get if you, you seek Jesus or something. I have no idea about that. But I'll tell you, if you seek Jesus, you don't even care about the money. It is not the money that interests you or anything. That's not even, that's not even on your radar screen anymore. It is, I just want to please Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. It is all about Jesus. He is preferred over everything. Everything. If you really understand this, it is all about Jesus. This joy that you enter into is the joy of your master. It's the joy of Jesus. It is better than anything. So Joseph comes in verse 6, and he comes to them in the morning, and he observed them. He didn't just say, uh, in the morning, he did just, you know, open up the little hatch, there's your slop, and walk away. I mean, he is observing them. He was put in charge of them. He's observing them. He observes them, and behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials in verse 7, Genesis chapter 40, verse 7. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces sad today? He observed them, and he noticed that their faces were sad today. Well, duh, I'm in prison, isn't it? No, no. There's something unusual today. Your face is particularly sad today. I'll tell you who sees this. And this is, this is Shireen, my wife. She sees it. She'll say to me, she would, she would see some of the students in the class and she would say to me, oh, that student right there, he's going through a lot. Something is really disturbing him. I'm like, what are you talking about? I saw him today. He looked fine to me. <laughs> She's like, no, something is disturbing him. And sure enough, then, you know, a few weeks later, this whole thing comes out of the, the extreme depression that he's in and, and, and these things are happening in his life. And she will go after these people. she just go after them because she sees it. I mean, she's really observant and she sees it. And this is what Joseph was like. He could really see it in them. And, and uh, he wasn't oblivious to this. He asked them, he, 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 says, he says, why are your faces so sad today? Today, something is happening today. 
the past days you were here, it wasn't like this. Yeah, you weren't pleased to be here, but there's something special happening today that's bothering you. And they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Wow. So these men say, we've had a dream and there's no one to interpret it. So they had the good sense to realize that something higher is speaking into their life, that some message is trying to come to them. In our Western culture, we totally dismiss this. If I'm melancholy, if, if I had, you know, some experience, nobody's trying to, just life, just life is bad. Life is just bad. I don't know why, but these guys at least had the sense to say, well, maybe God's trying to speak to me. Maybe some higher power is trying to speak to me. Maybe someone's trying to communicate with me. Maybe these things are coming forth in this way, in a special way. They had the good sense to see it. And they said, we, we wish we understood what's going on. I'll tell you, as a believer, if you go trying to ask other people for all the reasons why you go through certain things in your life, you're going to have trouble with that because uh, people don't know what's going on in your life and it's hard for them to really speak in sometimes. I encourage you to pick up the Bible and begin to read and to say, Lord, speak to me through the scriptures. Get in a reading pattern where you take a book of the Bible and you read through it from beginning to end, where you read, you start reading from the, where you left off the day before. And that, that as you read this thing, if you read this book, you say, Lord, speak to me. This is what meditation is. It is not just reading. It's say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me as I read this passage. And as you read, your eyes will go over these words and all of a sudden, your eyes will keep being drawn back to a passage. And then say, Lord, speak to me, as Samuel did. He said, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I'm listening. Speak. You say that. Lord, speak to me. Speak to me through this passage. And he'll begin to speak to you. And let him begin to minister to you and to make clear to you what, 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 uh, what's going on. Now you may want to uh, seek out some trusted counselors, people you really trust to understand the Word of God and get some verification on that. But it is a wonderful thing to go back to the Word of God and let God begin to speak to you. We go through things in our life. We even go through tragedies in our life that are to draw us back, draw us back into His presence. And so they had the good sense to ask for this. And what does he say? He says, uh, he, he says, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me, please, in verse 8. Here he brings up again God. Remember back in, in chapter 39, we, we saw just these two verses where he spoke and he brings up God. This is unusual for the book of Genesis. You say, oh, well, it's Bible talk. No, you go through entire chapters in Genesis where God is never even mentioned. Lord is never mentioned. God's name, the, any reference to God is not even mentioned. So, for example, if you look back in, in, in chapter 38 when it talks about Judah and Tamar, the same time that Judah is going through all of this junk, this guy is going through this in Egypt, and he's mentioning God in, in chapter 38. There's no mention of God. We've gone through whole chapters, no mention of God. Now remember, he didn't have the Bible like we have. All he had was his father, Joseph, uh, his father Jacob's instruction. That's all he had. This guy was so sensitive to God. You get this picture of why his father Jacob missed him so much. He had, he had, he had 11 other sons. 
Joseph was special, really special. He had 11 other sons that were a lot like Judah, just, just raising up all sorts of problems in his life. But here was this special guy so sensitive to God. He says interpretations belong to God. Remember when he had those two dreams, the dreams about the sheaves bowing down to his sheaf, where, and, and, uh, and then the, 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 the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him. He never gave the interpretation of those. He just told the dream and the, the, his, his brothers and his father were able to interpret those accurately and immediately. They could interpret it themselves and they knew what it meant. He didn't even have to interpret it to them, but he knew well what it meant. And he has a gift. He has a gift of dream interpretation. I don't have that gift. He had a dream of gift interpretation and he used it and he wasn't afraid to use it. He says, tell it to me, please. He was so anxious to use his gift, so anxious to use his gift. What I have seen in my life is if you, everybody, every believer in Jesus Christ has been given a gift. And if you are willing to use that gift, more blessing will be given to you with that gift. If you're willing to use that gift, more will be given to you. If you're not willing to use that gift, it, it, it doesn't get developed. People have certain gifts. I mean, there are gifts that I don't have. So, for example, my wife has a gift of cooking and hospitality. I mean, right now she's in the kitchen, right through this door, in the kitchen, and she is making up plates for a bunch of, a bunch of people that she's going to have distributed at lunchtime today. And, uh, uh, and so even this pandemic can't stop her from doing this. But she can... What appears to me to be effortlessly, she can do this. She plans it out and she gets everything ready the day before and she gets in the kitchen on Sunday morning and she just does this. And then when we were having the, the meetings at church before this pandemic hit, I mean, she'd be cooking all these meals with some of you that are on the line now helping her. She did this and it appeared to me effortlessly. If I had to make, if I had to make a bowl of cereal for three people, I'd be sweating. How am I going to get this thing done? I mean, she does this, it appears to her effortless. But if she had to teach a Bible study, she'd be sweating bullets for days over this thing. People are given different gifts. If you have a gift in something, it's not that it's easy, but it doesn't wipe you out. It doesn't wipe you out. And the more you use that gift in service to the Lord, the better the blessing is. I know guys who are tremendous evangelists. I've seen them. But they hardly ever talk about Jesus. And I say, you got to get out there and do this more. You have a gift of evangelism. And they don't use it. And so it never develops. You be willing to use your gift and use it again and again and again often. You say, well, I don't know what my gift is. Well, you got to try a few different things. When I first started going to the church, uh, they, they were asking, they were having a Christian meeting and they were asking for volunteers to work in the nursery. And I was willing to try anything. I raised my hand. I was just a college student and I was volunteering to work in the nursery. I'm the youngest of all my siblings. I never took care of a baby. But I thought, what's the taking care of a baby? I mean, you just work in a nursery. What's the problem? So I go in the nursery and there was no one else there. I was the nursery guy. There was nobody else there. And uh, I remember one woman brought her child to the nursery and she saw me there. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the nursery today. And she just left with her baby. And I don't blame her. I mean, just left with her baby. Another woman came in with her little girl who was asleep. And so she said, okay, I'll just leave her here. I said, okay, I'll, I'll keep an eye on her. 
So she put her on, on this, this, this little bed, this little, uh, uh, it, it wasn't a crib or anything, it was just a, a bed, and, and, and uh, uh, put her there, and she left. And so I didn't want the kid to roll off the bed, so I took a dresser, a dresser-looking cabinet that was right next to it, and I pushed it up against the bed to keep the kid from rolling off. And about 10 minutes later, the mother comes back. And I knew why she came back. And I don't blame her, but she came back. Who's this guy? You know, she came to her senses. What have I done? And, and uh, she, she saw her, her daughter there on the bed with the, with the dresser. I said, oh, I pushed that there. I didn't want her to roll off. She says, oh, that's a good idea. And she sat there the whole time, and the, the two of us just chatted. But she wasn't about to leave her daughter with me. But I was helpless, helpless in a nursery. So I don't do nursery work anymore. To me, that's, I'd, I'd have no fun with that. In fact, t- changing other kids' diapers, that's not something I want to do. So, so, um, but some people have a gift. You, you try different things and you will see there's something you're good at. You know, if you think you have a gift of singing and nobody else agrees, you probably don't have that gift. But y- you, you exercise things and people say, wow, I was really blessed by that. You know, maybe that's where your gifting is. And the more you're willing to use it, the more it will develop. And this guy was willing to use his gift. And if you look in, in there's this interesting verse in, in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter uh, 22. Proverbs chapter 22, <clears throat> reading from verse 29. It says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. You know, if you are skilled in something, and you exercise this and be willing to do this, the Bible says you're, you will stand before kings. You're not going to stand before mere men. You're really going to be promoted. And that is exactly what happened to Joseph. And uh, um, so anyway, he says, tell it to me, please. So in, 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 uh, uh, then he goes through and he begins to tell it. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches, and it was budding. Its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, and restore you to your office, and and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, for I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. You know, it's very interesting when he gives the account of how he got there, he does not call out his brothers. He does not call out Potiphar buying him. He does not call out the the uh, Ishmaelites selling him. He does not call out Potiphar's wife for improperly putting him there. You know, it would do us well to learn from this. When we have to make a defense for ourselves, we don't have to throw other people under the bus in making the defense for ourselves. We can well make our defense without implicating others in the meantime. 
That's what this guy did. He implicated nobody in particular in this. He also says he knew well what happened to him. He was kidnapped. He says he was kidnapped in verse 15 from the land of the Hebrews. Wow, that is very interesting. From the land of the Hebrews. He did not say from the land of Canaan. At that time, the only thing that his family owned was a tiny little burial plot for the patriarchs and the field adjacent to that. And we learned why they had to get that field because if they did not sell the field, if the person whom he bought it from did not sell the field along with the burial plot, the person would have to pay taxes on it. So they had to sell the the field as well. So it was a little field, just a little field. And they had had uh, Shechem by right of conquest. Tiny little postage stamp of land throughout this entire land, but he refers to it as the land of the Hebrews. This is the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how we recognize it. This man in his mid-twenties is so perceptive. He did not call it the land of Canaan because he realized that that was the land that was promised to them by God. God had told his grandfather, God had told his great-grandfather Abraham, this land, everywhere you set your foot is going to be yours. That was as good as gold to Joseph. That is the land of the Hebrews. He called it the land of the Hebrews, not the land of Canaan, even though at this time it was almost totally occupied by the Canaanites. There were less than a hundred Hebrews in that land, less than a hundred. And he called it the land of the Hebrews. That's where he was kidnapped from. Quite perceptive he was. And then he comes out and he starts to interpret this dream. And, and he does this, if you look in, in the end of verse 13, if you look in, in verse 13, he says, within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cup bearer. Again, he effortlessly exercises his gift. Effortlessly exercises his gift. And we're going to see next week about whether this comes true. What I want to point out this week is that, you see, when he's talking about this, he says to them, he says in in verse 14, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you and please do me this kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh when and get me out of this house. This is the common plea of the prisoner. I did prison ministry for 10 years. The common plea is speak to somebody and see if you can get me out of here. Speak to somebody and see if you can get me out of here. And, uh, and he did that. He appealed to them. He, he ministered to them and he said, remember me. And this just rockets back in my mind. Jesus speaks to his disciples. Jesus speaks to us and he says, remember me. He says, remember me. He's called on me to testify of him. He's called on his disciples. He says, you are to make disciples of all men. He says, they, and, and we are called upon. Will I forget what he's asked me to do? Will I forget this? I don't want to forget my Lord who has been so good to me. He has ministered to me in my time of affliction. He's ministered to me. Let's not forget the Lord in his goodness to us. Joseph was forgotten by this man. Let's not forget the Lord. 
Let's not forget His goodness to us. Jesus is so kind to us in every respect. Everything points us to the goodness of Jesus. He is a good master. He is not a capricious master that gets furious with us and has us tossed into a jail. He is good and He is kind and He is gracious. We start going astray and He speaks to us. In some way, he drops a thought into us. In our Western culture, we don't put any stock in dreams, so he doesn't bother with dreams with us. But he he speaks to us through a word we hear on the radio, through a word we hear from the pastor. He speaks to unbelievers in the same way. He does all of this. He speaks to us, continuing to give us this. His kindness is put upon us over and over again. Jesus is so good to us. If there's anything good, anything righteous, anything holy, it is all because of Jesus. If he, if he, he, he causes us to carry some cross in life, he's carrying that cross with us and he will always take the heavier end. If there's anything good, it's all embodied in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who opens the door for us. Jesus, Jesus is to us. Like Joseph was to them in the prison. He comes and he ministers to us in our affliction. And he says, why are you looking so sad today? And he's there to encourage us. He says, tell me about this. Tell me what you're going through. He is there to encourage us. We need no other mediator. There is no other mediator between God and men except the, the uh, uh, Christ Jesus. Except the man Christ Jesus. He is our mediator. He is the one between us and God. He is the mediator. It says that, it says that He lives in order to make intercession on our behalf. The Bible says that Jesus lives. Why does Jesus live? Well, one of the reasons the Bible says is to make intercession on our behalf. Jesus lives to pray for us. To make intercession on our behalf means that He intercedes for us. He prays for us. He appeals to us. To his father, he appeals on our behalf. He says, Father, I, I like this guy. I like him. Be good to him. Let's be good to him. Let's bless him. He appeals to us. He, he, he appeals on our behalf. He ministers to us. I'm clueless on so many times. Why are things happening? And I go to the word of God. I don't always come away with an understanding of why it's happening. But I've got something better. I've got the King of Kings, the Lord of glory. Jesus Christ has come and ministered to me and given me peace in the midst of my lack of understanding. I don't have an understanding on all these things, why it's going on. I don't understand all this thing of this this pandemic. But all I know is I have Jesus and He is good to me. And that is worth more to me than anything. That is worth more to me than my comfort in having to go without a... My comfort if I would have to go without a mask on. No, Jesus is the one who comforts me. Jesus means more to me than anything. When you have Jesus, you have everything. So if you do not know the Lord, I urge you, come to know Jesus this day. Come to know Jesus this day. I'm going to pray and invite you to know Jesus this day. I invite you to this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. You are so good. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. Thank you, Lord, for all your mercy. You have been good to us. And Lord, I pray for the believers here today that you would draw them closer, that they would realize in Jesus they have all good 
and all mercy. Everything is embodied in Him. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers this day that they would pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. I believe that Jesus is Lord and I believe that He has risen from the dead. Lord, fill me with Your Holy Spirit. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray that You would take our hearts and commit us totally to You. You are all glorious, my Lord. Blessed be Your name. Forever and ever may You, our Lord Jesus Christ, be magnified forever and ever. You are the best in every way. You intercede for us. You stand for us. You are the one who brings us peace in the midst of our confusion. You are the one who speaks to our hearts. You are the one who takes us when we are dejected and sad and lifts us up by giving us your very self. You've given us your very self. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.